Thank you for joining us. I'm Paul Wilson. And I'm Chris Emke. And this is Diesel Performance Podcast. Guys, today we have on a living legend in diesel performance. <laughs> We're talking about the Cummins guru himself, LaVon Miller. LaVon, how the hell are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Man, you know what? I'm really vibing the back, uh, the backdrop, the wall over there in your fab shop. Yeah, well, we got to doctor up the new space last year and it really turned out nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've all been watching it through the YouTube channel yep. and the social media posts and everything like that. Uh, we've kind of noticed this general progression that you've had going about a race program. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and tell us kind of what's behind your guys' race program and what all does that involve? Well, racing is obviously what we love to do. Um, it's I think it's every guy's dream to just play with race cars all day. Um, but obviously race cars don't pay bills. <laughs> At least, uh, generally they cost a bunch of money. Um, and that that's kind of been the focus. We've kind of used racing as our leading loss in business. We know that it costs the business money to go racing, but that really is what pushes us forward and makes us a lot of the stuff we learn in racing is what turns into technology that benefits the guys on the daily driver work truck level. Um, so we've pushed forward in the racing scene and now we've gone into fabrication where we can do, you know, four links, roll bars, turbo kits, all kinds of, uh, different things in the fab shop that we can actually make some profit with to help fund our racing program. And it really all ties together. So now we can help other guys reach their dreams of making their trucks faster, make them better, uh, along with, uh, learning what we need to learn to keep pushing forward to the next level. Now, it's interesting, you know, you see the the evolution uh, of Firepunk as a whole, and I think of the DPC days, right? I was watching the 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 diesel, um, uh, the series that you and Lynn were doing, you know, talking about DPC, you know, prior to DPC, and then getting into UCC and all of that stuff. And what's interesting to me is, is you get into the 4748 world, you prove that you guys can keep them together. Now Firepunk is a trans company, right? They're, that's your one-stop shop when you want to do golden nuggets, right? <laughs> then you start getting into the regular cab, you get into the chassis work, you start proving yourselves, you migrate into the S10, again, proving yourselves. And then it's like, hey, here's another facet of the business. We're going to set up a chassis shop. We're going to start doing this for the general public or the guys that want to get into racing. Sure. And guys want to have that because of the successes that you you guys continuously prove right well that's uh kind of how we've we've learned to do everything on our own and once you learn to do it on your own truck and then you're like you always have somebody else that's like hey i saw you do it on your truck can you help me do it on mine and if i want to do it for somebody else's truck i want to be able to do it on a professional level and do it the best of our ability so every time we learn something new uh it often ends up into a different faucet of the business where we just dig into it Buy the equipment that we need to do it on a professional level and offer the service to the general public. Well, that's really cool. You know, that's awesome. I think probably the best example of that is, you know, we got to talk to Justin Ziegler very recently, mm -hmm. uh, and he referred to you as his mentor, somebody who he's, he's learning about this from, uh, and obviously somebody who you've had very heavy involvement in the, the last, last year's UCC win and this year's UCC win. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, obviously, 3,300 horsepower, it's the first time it's happened at UCC. We've been talking about it since the beginning of UCC. Um, right. You know, what, what was that like for you to see that happen, and, and what has your story kind of been working with Justin? Well, I've been trying to make that number on the dyno since we showed up to UCC with a Sigma motor in 2017, <laughs> and uh, it was that kind of took a lot of wind out of my sails to make, to show up with something that I knew made well over 3,000 horsepower and to leave the dyno day 
with 2,399 horsepower. And it's like, man, what's the point in spending all this time and money to, to chase this big number if I can't even uh, stick it to the dyno? Uh, so to actually do that this weekend was monumental. You know, it's something that uh, it's probably that I told Justin, I was joking with him. I said, that's the tune-up I've always wanted to put in that truck, but it was my own money. So I didn't dare. So, <laughs> um, he, he, but really the, the joke was uh, Justin had come to me and he, he was like, you know, I see Ryan and Derek talk all this crap on the internet, how they're going to put this 500 horsepower gap on everybody. He's like, I want that gap. I don't care if the crankshaft's laying on the dyno when it's done, as long as it makes a number, he said, put a moon tune in it. So I did exactly what Justin asked me to. <laughs> I think that's interesting. You know, we, we brought this up to Justin. You know, you, you have the, the Pattersons and the Roses, right? And then there, there are two camps talking shit, running their mouth, maybe one camp a little more than the other nonetheless. And then I remember seeing the video on YouTube that you guys did on Justin's truck right before UCC. And I'm looking at the dyno video and like the truck just pulls out of the dyno and it was like centimeters right from hitting the platform of the dyno and like the, the truck had some get up to it like there was a lot of force <laughs> there and then uh again not claiming a number though you know yeah. no one justin never claimed a number and then he chooses to go last at the dyno you know the the the, the rest of it speaks for itself yeah. at that point you know with had, that number had you guys made three thousand on a dyno before ucc no um, my chassis dyno, pretty much it came up over that big hit we did on my shop. It came up over the rollers. It was spinning on the dyno platform in front of the rollers. Yep. And we, it actually went through the test window so quickly. It was, it went from 30 pounds of boost to 90 pounds of boost by 6,000 RPM. And then when it was rubbing on the front of the dyno platform, that's when it went from 90 pounds to 186 pounds of boost when it wasn't even recording anymore. Oh so God. it never really, it made 2197 on our dyno, but it never got a hold of it in the big test, in the big boost test window. So I looked at the data and I was like, I know what kind of power that truck's making. I am not taking any chance of dropping the crank out the bottom here. We're just going to go to UCC with this tune-up and uh, see what happens. So I was delighted to see that it stuck the number. As soon as I saw that truck hunker down and stretch all the straps, I knew it was going to give me a big number. <laughs> now, do you think it was a monumental moment having the ability to make 3,300 horsepower on a cast iron OEM Cummins block still? Like some of the guys that you guys were competing against, Justin was competing against, they were billet block motors. And, you know, uh, no no question that, you know, Drew over at DNJ doesn't make a solid motor. But, you know, he, he kind of came like lacking a little bit when it comes to some of the, the new and improved parts that are in this industry. Well, I mean, it is, it's a big accomplishment to do that with a cast motor because the stock webbing, main webbing down by the crank, that's OEM, you know, D&J can't really make the OEM block stronger in that area. We've got, they got tie bolts that go from the deck plate down to the main webbing, but from the bottom of those tie bolts to the top of the main bolts, that's the weakest link. Yep. And for it to stick that kind of horsepower and torque number and not come apart is uh, it's a pretty big feat. And that's mostly due to making the power up close to 5,000. You know, that's why you saw 3,300 horsepower and 3,600 foot-pounds of torque. Because if we'd have made that power at 3,100, 3,200, it would have made 4,500 foot-pounds and probably split the, split the block before the number ever came up on the board. But sure. Sure. Well, it, how, how much dialing in have you done for that test window? That's always a big question on the dyno. A lot of guys just assume you get up on the dyno and the operator says go and you hit right. the skinny pedal and then the operator says stop and it's over. But 
I know from experience that's not what it is. It's, it's a lot about finding finding that right spot. So how much dialing in have you had to do for that? Well, um, I took, I really only made one nitrous pass on that truck before this weekend because I knew that my dyno wouldn't handle it, but I needed that data to be able to adjust the tune file to get it all in that window that I needed. Uh, so on my dyno, I had started the dyno run. The first kit of nitrous came on at 35 pounds of boost, second kit at 40 pounds of boost, third kit at 45. I had done five PSI increments and ramped them all in. And from the time that the first kit came on till the time the third kit came on, the run was already over. So those, the last three kits of nitrous were already past the test window. So that told me that I need to start squeezing these kits together as close as possible. Cause if you bring all that nitrous in at one time at low boost, you're really likely to backfire the engine and your run's going to be over before you ever started. You probably tool up your valves and uh, you're going to be a sitting duck without a horsepower number. So I took that one run that we did at our shop, collected that data. And then I knew kind of what I needed to do for UCC, but I still found myself uh, going back to the tune throughout the day on Saturday and adjusting that three or four more times and <laughs> think about it a little bit more. And I think this is what I should do. And, and uh, just squeeze it all in. You know, we had, we had total of seven nitrous solenoids that came on in that 1.19 second test window. Jeez. And it started at 20 pounds of boost, 22 pounds of boost, 25 pounds of boost, 28 pounds of boost, nine, 30 pounds of boost. They just all stacked all into each other in milliseconds apart and ramped in a monster number. And that that's where almost six pounds of nitrous gets consumed, huh? Yep, 5.9 pounds of nitrous in 1.19 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so we have we normally only have three main stages on it. So we have two spool jets on the truck. And so two of the state two of the seven stages were just small spool jets. And then we left those alone. And then we used our three main power stages. And then we also repurposed our water injection. We have two NX375 solenoids that we normally uh, charge a, a nitrous bottle that we fill with water that we do water injection through nitrous solenoids. And so we emptied the water injection bottle, filled it with nitrous and used our water injection as nitrous. We decided EGTs were irrelevant at this point. We're just gonna <laughs> smack it with a number and go for it. <laughs> Speaking speaking of EGTs, I think that's something for people to kind of grasp on. Yeah. I mean, is that something you can still measure at this level? Is that is that something you pulled data on? I had two two out of the six EGT probes that didn't wig out. Like pretty much, I think it put so much direct flame right on the EGT probe that they just went wacky. Okay. Um, the one the one read right at two thousand degrees. The other one read nineteen hundred and thirty degrees. Okay. Man. So we were we were lean. We were like thirty to one air fuel ratio. I um, mean, it was a it was a nitrous dump. We had two fourteen mil pumps running at ninety five percent duty cycle. Pretty much that nitrous pull that I had done on my dyno had given me the data I knew I needed to know how much fuel I could command to max out the pumps at six thousand RPM. Wow. So I used that data to estimate what's the max fuel quantity I could throw at it dialed that in and dumped the nitrous on it and made a made a big number it's six thousand rpm that's yeah. that's a wild number i don't think a lot of guys really get their head around what six thousand rpm no. in a diesel engine looks like no. i mean what else does that put stress on running at that high of rpm uh the stress is a lot on the valve train the valve train on these trucks are still pretty heavy uh when it really is when you really look at it you know it's heavy duty and then you start turning them that fast it's a lot of stress on your valve train 
components, your rockers near bridges. Uh, I know the S10 on Saturday, I missed a shift one time. We shifted two, three at 6,648 RPM. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's like, is that the next, is that the next era of this, of this industry is starting to kind of R and D lighter valve train components and things like that. As you know, I remember back in the day, Oh, spin the motor to 4,000. Oh, 4,000 RPM was crazy. And then yeah. it was five and now it's six. And yeah. you know, you said what, 6,500, 6,600, it was turning, turning. So like, you know, that's probably going to be another facet of the industry where, you know, valve train components are going to be the next thing to, you know, be tested. Well, well, I laugh too, because here we are in the Midwest and I know every year around this time, sled pull season starts kicking off and we start taking a ton of calls at Duramax Tuner about, you know, stock truck guys wanting to turn yeah, 45,000 RPMs. RPMs. We're like, oh, stock cam, stock turbo. Always right. trying to talk guys back from it. Um, <laughs> and here we are at the top of the class kind of running that. Where do you think this transitions down? Where do you think this starts to relate to people in the real world? Well, a lot of it is learning your power curve. So you have to have head flow and you have to have airflow at that high RPM. So often if you watch these closer to stock, smaller turbo trucks, as the RPMs go up, your smoke output increases because there's not enough airflow up there. Uh, and that's one thing with that's an advantage with the billet motor going with the executioner style head that has uh, one exhaust port per exhaust valve. We can flow more air on the exhaust side and that, that engine seems really happy making full power all the way past 6,000 RPM where some of the cast block heads that we've had will start to fall off past 6,000 RPM. But we still deal with exhaust gas temperatures increasing at high RPM because the diesel fuel is not burning fast enough. So there's there's some there's crossover that we can learn from it. Um, I haven't figured out a uh, a solid application on you know implying that to the uh, lower horsepower street trucks, other than we start putting a lot more lungs on the atmosphere turbo if we're doing a compound setup. Instead of running an 80 millimeter turbo, now we're running an 88. Or instead of running an 88 millimeter turbo, now we're running a 107 millimeter turbo. Because if you can thump in that big volume of air and lower your air density, it's going to make more power at a higher RPM without getting smoky and too hot. That's interesting. So, so it is starting to find its way through the advice kind of channel about yeah. where are you sizing your compounds. I know when we all first started in this, like compounds were only for competition guys, and yeah. then all of a sudden it was right. we all figured out. Oh wait, towing guys really, really like yeah. the right towing setup. Has that has that started to shift? Are you starting to size up those setups as well? Yeah, for sure. We're just seeing a lot more. Um, your manifold charger dictates your drivability. So keep your manifold charger on the smaller side and then oversize your atmosphere turbo. So if you have a, if you want to support a thousand horsepower, size your atmosphere turbo on a size that would support 2000 horsepower as a single and run it at half the speed. Now your, your charge temperature coming out of that turbo is in its peak efficiency. Your air density qual is much lower. So even though your boost number is not as high, it's a better quality of air and you make a lot more of efficient horsepower in the, and, and everything's happy in that window. Bell Banks is freaking out, screaming manifold air density right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. well, it is. I mean, you know, people make fun of Gail Banks, but in reality, the, the man's got a point. Um, you know, I, I, I know he's sold a lot of intake air horns and all that stuff that I don't feel really make much power, but he is right on air density. If you can measure air density and build your setup to where you're, as you lower air density, your horsepower increases.
No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I love to see this, where, where we are taking the highest levels of competition. Back, and, we're, and, we're, and we're starting to backtrack it back to guys who are, who are using their trucks in the real world and still want the upgrade. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, we've all had to deal with, with the EPA restrictions and getting away from the delete trucks and things like that over the years. And we're all looking at where, where do we go from here? You know, uh, one of the things we asked Justin was like, you know, are, are we starting to shoot for 4,000 horsepower? Yeah. Of course we are. Yes. The answer is yes. Um, but but also I, I I like to see that side of the smaller guys where where the guys who are just starting out the guys who are just starting to upgrade their trucks where we're able to give them better advice we're able to right. give them and set up their trucks that are going to be a longer lasting happier you know something that doesn't have to run at its ragged edge to get the performance that they want out of it and I think that's really cool I think this is going to be a big play for us I definitely agree because. Getting guys recipe, I mean, a lot of guys will spend the money, but they only have the money time to spend it once, and they can't afford to do it over and over and over because, you know, I get guys that come in here, and they've gone through three or four engines. They've melted pistons and just torn up all kinds of stuff, and they're like, you know, LeVon, I don't, I don't got any money, like, I, but I want it, but I've, I've, I've listened to all the wrong people, and I've bought all the wrong parts, and it really takes a start over to get them set up correctly. Yeah. And so it does, it does make it hard. I want to see those guys succeed. And I always want to, I always tell guys, you know, play within your budget. If you can't afford a thousand horsepower truck and then build a 750 horsepower truck and enjoy it, you'll have way more fun having a 750 horsepower truck that you can afford to maintain and upkeep than making a thousand horsepower one or two times. And then being sitting on the side of the road and right. because you weren't able to buy all the supporting mods for it <laughs> or the proper parts in the first place just in yeah. general you yeah know? yeah okay cool well we we started off talking about racing i think that's one of the things that that has really helped tie ucc together for the spectators is having something going on pretty much at all times and that's largely because of odss um so i know you're a huge part of odss can you talk a little bit about uh that organization and kind of your guys's growth over the last few years sure well odss started as uh, you had TS performance. Dennis Perry had TS event. That was an outlaw event. The Shide was an outlaw event. You had uh, Rudy's doing their own event, and they were not sanctioned to a body at all. And you had NHR, NHRDA, who had a point series and everything, but it was mostly out west. So ODSS came together when all these different business owners that were hosting their own event decided, hey, why don't we make our events into a point system? We have a lot of people following us anyway, coming to all our outlaw events. Why don't we put a point system together? So ODSS is owned by like five different people that hosted their own event before they came together to make an organization. And I think that's what has made ODSS more successful is because there's a, there's a core group of people behind it that are shop owners, they're enthusiasts, they want to see racing succeed. And so they always push forward and promote their own event as much as they can. And then uh, we got our chance to, to host an ODSS event when Dennis Perry stepped down and stopped doing the TS event. We were given the opportunity to take that date. And that's why we had it one year in Ohio and did the Outlaw Diesel Revenge by Killcare. That was a great event. And then the next year was followed by COVID. And it was uh, that was where it was like so many unknowns. It wasn't worth spending the money to where we couldn't have more than 400 people there. We just decided to skip. In 2021, it fell uh, so close to UCC. It was two weeks apart. We didn't think it. we were going to be able to 
get all the guys from Texas and Florida and out West to travel in from UCC, then turn around two weeks later and come to Ohio for our event. And so for the diesel industry, we thought it'd be best if we would merge the two events and make one big event. Everybody can come to the same event. It would be an industry win because you'd have all the vendors there. Show and shine would be there. UCC would be there. ODSS would be there. Everybody's at one place. And it was such a nice event bringing it all together that we decided to do it again this year. And I really feel like it adds a nice touch to the event. It keeps fans, uh, gives them action, a lot more action to see all the time. And it gives a lot more people motivation, motivated to like, I want to make UCC and it makes one big shindig. And I think it's really something special for the diesel industry. No, I mean, it, and it's a great it's a it's a great hosting right having it at Lucas Oil Raceway like yeah. you have plenty of space, um, but I definitely agree with you. You know, having uh, the the Friday right the UCC competitors they did their drag racing. I know there was some ODSS stuff, and then Saturday they did the Dino, and then ODSS stuff was going. It was uh, it wasn't overwhelming. It was tastefully done, but there was something always going on. There were breaks in between, yeah. um, and it wasn't like you're watching this, watching this, and you couldn't really follow what was going on. So I think in the year of 2022 that that was all managed very nicely yeah yeah I, th I think the other thing that's been really interesting about adding odss is some of the competitors that are in both yeah um where i always laugh like i, I know i always poke at tyler about why would you go first why would why would you offer to go first on the dyno you should never take first you always go last see what everybody else did like whatever he's like no i want to go race for odss um which kind of blows my mind is like you're at the Super Bowl of diesel and you're like, yeah, but but I'm really I'm in this points thing. Yeah. The, the, like that's how much these guys care about it, right? Is is they really yeah. they look at ODSS as that is that is what they're that is what they're there to do. UCC is also you know they're learning to kick ass at that too. Uh, do you think it's changed a lot of the competitor strategy as far as like how that Saturday looks like or how hard to push themselves on Friday for qualifying and things of that nature? I don't know. I feel like uh, I know like for the DHD team, they they want to go as fast as they can. They've been trying to go fours for over a year and they finally got their four second pass this weekend. So it's not for lack of trying. It's not like they've been sandbagging, waiting to turn it up till UCC. <laughs> Those guys want to go fast every time. And as a racer, you want to go faster every pass. But you also have to you have to slowly gain your database. You know, look at your data, make small tweaks, make small percentage of changes. And sometimes when your changes don't work, you have to go back to what you know, go back to your five O pass, and then try <laughs> something else. And if that doesn't work, then you try the next thing. And sometimes it takes a couple weekends until you can actually advance on your time. But once you're a drag racer and you're going that fast, man, it all you want to do is go fast. And uh, <laughs> I can see why Tyler was like, I just want to get the dyno out of the way and go racing because it's it's a great time. So let me ask you this: with UCC 2022 finally breaking that barrier of 3,000 plus horsepower, there's no secret that you know the the guys who originally got into the UCC 16, 17, 18 uh, broke off and you know retired from UCC co competition in 19, right? Not pointing fingers. Um, and other shops, you know, uh, Baca Industrial Injection guys sure. like that. Do you think that this is going to fuel some fire to get some of these guys to pony up and re-enter the competition going into a new year, or do you think we're going to have just a new era of competitors over the next couple of years? Well, we were just talking about that at lunch today with our guys. Uh, like, what's it going to take to get the Out West guys to come back? You know, power driven, industrial, you know, Kenny Bruner, some of those guys out there. Kenny Bruner was a lot new last year. Yep. And it really, like, those were some big numbers to look at. Um, 
but I've shown them how to do it. So all they got to do is call me. I'll tell you how. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't know. I, I know. Uh, I think Bacchus truck's still sitting in the trailer from after it blew up um when it did that 2900 some horsepower yeah. uh but he talked to me i think at pri he's like man i really got to get that thing out and get it fixed up and and get it back out there so i i can see some of these guys coming back out and come out swinging for sure if you take a year or two off you kind of can breathe a little bit and rethink your whole platform and come back with a vengeance and try to lay play the smack down is, is that are you talking about them or about you right now well i i see it's, I'm in a really nice spot because if I go to you, do if I'm going to do UCC, I'm going to do it with the UCC truck I built, and I don't own it anymore, so I can't. <laughs> no, no, he still has unacceptable. His hands in it. He's unacceptable. good. He's got no. the best of both worlds. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see Levant compete against Derrick Rose and Justin Ziegler. Is what I would like. That's yeah. that's the trifecta of <laughs> of Cummins arguments that I would like to hear. To be honest with you, that would it would be a good time, but. Unless I stop building the new pro mod, and then I've got to put my funds into one direction. So it's either one, one or the other. <laughs> Speaking of the pro mod, we, we saw the announcement. Um, S10's retired, getting into a, a Plymouth Duster. Is that? Did I read that right? That is correct. So this is something that we started this winter. Um, teamed up with Reese Brothers, uh, talking to them at the radial tire races down in Georgia. You know, they feel pretty confident that they could build us a chassis that could get us uh, pretty significantly faster than what we are now. Uh, we really, it was hard on us to not build it ourselves, being that we have the capability to build a full race car in our shop. But we would have to pretty much not take any customer work for six to eight months to be able to accomplish that. And it it's honestly more affordable, more realistic for us to have Reese Brothers build this chassis than it is for us to learn through a brand new pro mod build um, and do it in our shop ourselves. So we're going to get a roller. We'll obviously finish everything out and we're planning on going fast. So let, let's ask about your planning on going fast. First into the threes, what's next? Like, well, what is it? Yeah, how fast are you now? Can we can we get for our listeners, what, what's the baseline? What, what are we trying to go faster then? The fastest the S10 has gone is 399 and the fastest mile an hour we've been is 185.7. And that was on radial tires. So when we go to a, and, but the problem with radial tires is it has to be uh, cool weather. It has to be a very sticky track and we don't get that very much in Ohio. So we race with ODSS and even the, some of the no prep stuff we do, you're all always on big tire. And the fastest we've been able to go on big tire is a 418 at 184, sure. uh, which still isn't slow, but it is just the tires are, enough heavier and it is so tricky if you put too much power into it you'll knock the tires off and shake if you don't have enough power you'll stick the tire dead hook and then it'll wad up and shake big tires are tricky and if the chassis isn't 100 perfect where you can launch and keep the tire around and then you drive into tire shake and you're missing a brake light and your bedside's falling off and all kinds <laughs> of stuff happens like this with this weekend the second pass at ucc we rattled the tire so hard that the uh, power wire going back to the kill switch. It's in a Raycon loom, uh, got down between the, it fell down between the tub and the frame and the tire came over and smacked it and actually cut the power wire. Oh no. And so he like pulls over to the side and he's like, I got nothing. So we put it back to the pit and took us 20 minutes till we found that there was a cut <laughs> wire going back to the power wire. 
No, that's just from violent, violent tire shake. That's wow. so wild. Okay. So is that like the the pro mod will be a consistent th a three second pass vehicle? Like what? What are, are the we goals? going three twos? Three twos. Yeah. <laughs> just cut a full just second jump. off. Yeah, just jump yeah, full it. second. <laughs> Goal, I mean, obviously, it's not going to happen. I know new, with a new car, you don't come out and just set the world on fire. You right. bring a new car out, and now you have the tools that you can advance into something quick. Um, but the goal is to be able to run, like, high 360s, low 370s. I'd love to be able to go run PDRA Pro Boost um, or be able to join a Pro Mod class and be able to at least make the field. You know, I feel like that would be a win for the diesel industry to be able to jump into mainstream Pro Mod racing and make the, make the field. Um, and with the S10 chassis, that's not really a goal we can reach for because now that we broke the three second barrier, I want to go into the next level. And the next level is try to be able to keep up with the gas guys that are in the same, same field. That's awesome. That's so wild. Super cool. That's so wild. Um, Levon, if you were talking to somebody who's brand new to UCC and they, they want to go in and they want to set up their 07 Cummins, uh, what's the advice you would give somebody who's brand new to competing? Well, as far as competing is you don't necessarily have to go and make 3,300 horsepower to have a great time. I had a customer, his name Robbie Garcia. He was in UCC this year. I bet he had more fun than any other competitor there. He's been from the outside looking in, you know, he's seen us go to UCC. He's seen us do this. And this was the first time that he got an opportunity to compete on this level. He made 1,560 horsepower. He set his goals for himself. He was in there to, to win his own personal battles. Uh, and he had a great time. So you can go compete on whatever level you choose. The best advice I could give is set a goal and reach your own goals. And then once you've reached your own goals, change your goals for the following year and step up. You know, you can you can kind of win small battles one at a time, play within your budget, play within your means and have a good time. Do it. You got to enjoy the whole process. You got to enjoy the fixing. You got to enjoy the racing. You got to enjoy the, the talking about it. If you enjoy that, you're going to enjoy the whole process. Now, Robbie Garcia was in All Truck Challenge this past year as well. Yeah. We interviewed him. I was, His I know truck had a complete Robbie. makeover from yeah. what it was like in the fall till now. <laughs> uh, bedsides and all, man. Because I was watching him at the sled pull, you know, on Sunday. And uh, the only reason I recognized the truck was because of the, you know, the wrap, you know, that he has on the vehicle. But complete 180 with that thing, man. It was crazy. Yeah, it was awesome. He had a, he had fourth gen bedsides ordered for it, and they didn't show up till the day before we left for really? UCC. And so that uh, we had some second gen bedsides yeah, on the yeah. on the shop, and he's like, "I don't care what you put on there." <laughs> <laughs> so he had a fourth gen with second gen bedsides. Oh, it was oh, one wow, of the man. better looking trucks there, man. It was a good looking rig. Yeah. It, he had a great time. Unfortunately, he broke some tappets. It missed a shift on uh, drag race day and bounced it off the six thousand RPM limiter, and it broke four tappets. Like kind of a freak thing, which, you know, should have a roller cam if you're going to run that kind of RPM. And I probably should have lowered the limiter into, but I had the limiter full fuel to 5,500, but being that it didn't shift, it drove on up to 6,000 and bounced off the limiter, broke, broke tappets. And then he ended up borrowing a spare engine from Josh McCormick 
and they swapped it in Friday night and dined it on Saturday. And like I said, it, you know, he, he got kind of a taste of UCC, what it's like to push through and persevere and dig through some problems. Well, well, that's, that's one other thing that I want to talk about. So when you had done UCC, it was, I mean, you were famous for full teardowns. I, I mean, for yeah. each night, right. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's yeah. 10, 15, 20 hours, 30 hours, man hours to get through getting the truck ready for each day. Uh, and now they're allowing two trucks to go in and compete. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I agree with the move. I, I feel like, I feel like I know why they did it because they're trying to appeal to, to if you look at ODSS, tons of fast trucks out there, but very few of them want to compete in UCC because they don't want to sled pull their race truck. And they don't want to do all the extra work, add all the extra weight that it takes to be able to hang a weight box and dual wheels and heavy wheels, heavy U-joints and axle shields and all this stuff. And so I can relate to that. And I think the the move was UCC staff decided to make it a two-truck deal to try to appeal to the average, all the fast trucks out across America that they can now enter UCC, they can drag race their fast truck, dyno it, and then hire a substitute um, sled pull truck for the sled pull portion. Now I, we only ended up with 15 competitors by the end of the weekend. So obviously the, that appeal didn't quite work the way they wanted to. Um, what I didn't like about that is Sunday, I was there beside the track watching sled pulling and it really took the heart and soul out of sled pull day, you know, cause I, half the time I didn't know which truck was pulling for which team. Yeah. And it kind of felt like I just put some really big bets on a horse race and I was standing back just waiting to see which horse was going to win. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder where this goes because this was the first year they allowed it. So I know like Ziegler reached out to somebody he knew and respected from like his local area and things like that. But there are some big, nasty sled pull only trucks out yeah. there. Are there rules on it? Like I could just pull any truck out of the field to be my sled pull truck? Uh, pretty much the only rule is it has to be a stock frame rail truck. So okay. that's why like Calvin Miller has a super stock truck, but it's an old chassis that still has a stock frame rail underneath it. That's all reinforced where about all the new super stock pullers are uh, two frame. Right. Okay. I wonder if it's almost one of those things where, uh, you know, as you move forward, they don't actually bring in like a sled pull, like ODSS, right? But you do something on the sled pull side, you know, for more. Uh, well, that's been our talk is how do we, how do we do this? You know, is uh, I we're going to really try hard to team up with some kind of a sled pulling organization to host a sled pull on Saturday evening at UCC to where we have she yeah. have all the drag racers we have all the sled pullers and we have the UCC trucks I think it would be the the finishing touch to bringing the whole industry together next year we won't be able to use the dirt inside the circle track because NASCAR truck is going to be using the circle track the following week and they can't have dirt in there. Um, so we're going to be, they're going to be putting in the sled pull track between the drag strip and the grandstands on the DPI side of the drag strip. So all the action is going to happen right by the drag strip, dyno, sled pull, and, um, drag race. So I really think if we could do that, that way, if they start the sled pull at say six 30 on Saturday night, yeah. even if drag racing isn't quite finished, we can finish up the finals of drag racing while the sled pulls already started. All the fans are sitting in the same stands and it's going to be even more action for everybody, but I'm not quite sure how that ties into the UCC trucks. Cause really I felt kind of like the UCC competition felt kind of almost like it was over after Saturday night. You yeah. know, it was like, 
you didn't have to you parked your ucc truck now because now you just waited to see if the the guy you brought along the sled pole for you could hang in there and hold your lead for you and well that's that's where i wonder too is like are the rule changes going to have to start coming down to like one driver for all events right. right like what are we tying this team together with just the fact that i called you and we're friends, and I brought you out with me. Well, and it's the ultimate call out. I called them out to come right, over. You know? right. <laughs> it's like, 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 what, what is it that's tying this team together, right? Yeah. Because, like you said, the trucks are totally different. You know, I could, I could have a Duramax racing, and I could have a, a come and sled pulling or whatever combo I want. Um, I, I do think it'll always put. I don't know if it's an asterisk on the new winners or an asterisk on the old winners of like one truck. Yeah, like right. one truck for all three is like, is that a special? Is that Either that or like if you thing? if you sled pull with the truck that you bring for UCC, if you do one truck three events, you get like a twenty five point bonus or something like that. Yeah, so basically, you'd have to do a handicap if you're substituting in a truck or I don't know. We've yeah. there's already been uh, a full day's worth of chitter chatter on the UCC <laughs> shitstorm chat with all the UCC <laughs> competitors. We've been hashing around this out all day today, trying to figure out how do we make the event better. The good thing about the Ultimate Callout Challenge is James, Brendel, and Chris. They're very open to our input they want to make the event better you know it's not like their way or the highway so they're open for all input if they if we can come to him and propose something that's good they, i feel like they're going to jump on it and follow follow what the general uh consensus is absolutely yeah we would say the same thing about james yeah. and chris oh, they're great great, guys. great guys to work yeah. with and and definitely good at taking that feedback you no know, james um, was really nice letting me in the parking lot because you didn't get me a parking pass yeah you, know? you didn't Co-workers, deserve one. really good guys right. so. didn't deserve one um <laughs> <laughs> didn't deserve one. <laughs> uh this year too i saw i saw a lot of people running around with the firepunk gear did you guys yeah. I, I didn't get a chance to walk the show almost at all did you guys have a booth or were people just coming down um, we had an apparel booth um, pretty much the the show and shine it, pretty on. much you came in the gates went to show and shine then right as you came out of the show and shine into dpi we had an apparel booth over there separate from our pits over on the other side gotcha gotcha but yeah we we move a lot of merch on an event like that <laughs> i mean the hats were killer great idea on the hats fuck <laughs> i was i was a little jelly on the straw hats i gotta be honest they, they looked they looked awesome well yeah we have three days of sunshine i didn't take long to look like a lobster no no i was one of said lobsters so. <laughs> levon what does what does the rest of this year look like for you guys over at firepunk is this uh, a big year for racing is the duster going to be done this year is this what, what are the plans the goal is to take the summer off of pro racing. So we will be also be showing up to races. That's why I'm racing the quad cab in 670. Uh, I raced it at Wagglers and I raced it this weekend, even though I didn't really have time for it, but uh, it was still a good time. Made it to the third round till I had to race right after Justin's dyno and I red lit because my spidey senses may have been a hair bit too high. Um, <laughs> the adrenaline's uh, pumping, right? <laughs> I was pumped up. Um, but we'll still be at the races. We won't be racing anything in the pro classes. Uh, the goal is to have the chassis done sometime in September and hoping to debut it in Rudy's in the fall. But you know how race parts and race race cars go. I'm not making any promises. We're going to do our best. But uh, if something comes up, it may be next spring till it debuts. But hopefully this fall at Rudy's, we'll be able to have a new car out. 
Yeah, timelines and budgets, two things that don't go with racing. No. Yeah, no. I got it. <laughs> well, Levon, thank you so much for joining us today. I know our listeners have been, been dying to hear back from you, and this is going to be a good one for everyone. Uh, guys, if you want to check out more, make sure you jump over to the Firepunk social media channels. You guys are on everything, including an awesome YouTube channel that I know yep. Chris and I have been following yep. along with. Yep. Uh, anybody you want to give a shout-out to? Well, I really want to give a shout-out to the Firepunk team. They all helped me staff the event this weekend. Uh Without my crew, my guys behind the behind me, I, it's, I'm just a, I'm just one guy, and I can't do it all. So it really takes a whole team of people to do it, friends, family, and you know the guys at DNJ that keep uh, keep the engines going, the Exergy Performance, they do all the fuel systems for us, and Hotshot Secret, they obviously support us with our lubricants, and we've got a really good group of people that uh, team up and surround our race team. Very good. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, viewers, stick around. we got a little bit more Diesel Performance Podcast coming at you next. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, this has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. Make sure to like and subscribe, and we'll talk to you again soon. Three twos? Three twos. <laughs> just cut a full <laughs> second jump, off, Paul. Yeah, just jump yeah, full it. second. <laughs>